Oh, come on. He deserves more than that. Amen. This is why I came here today. I didn't come to check off church done. I came to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I came to experience him today. So I'm going to give my everything. I'm going to give my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I worship you today, God. I glorify you today. Lord, you've been too good to me, God, for me to keep silent. You've been too good for me, God, not to praise you today. Oh, come on, that's it. Let a praise arise. Come on, this is the time to praise. Come on, if you're waiting for the right time, the right moment, it's now. This is the time when I respond to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I exalt you, Lord. I praise your name, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've come to meet with Jesus today. I've come to exalt his name today. Amen. I mentioned it in pre-service, but in Acts chapter 4, they met with the Sanhedrin, Peter and John, and and, uh, an encounter happened, and, and they were left confused and marveling. And they knew that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Man, what would it be like today if we left and we went to wherever we're going today, whether it's the restaurant or home or family, and people say, man, I don't know what you, where you've been. I don't know what your story is, but I know that you've been with Jesus. That's how I want to leave this place today. I want to leave this place having encountered Him and having an experience with Him and people knowing that something has happened in my life today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Again, it's great to have you here today in service. It's great to be here. I'm glad that I have this opportunity and privilege to be gathered in His name again. Sometimes I just need to come to church. And I'm glad I'm here today. <laughs> Amen. I just want to remind the youth that you're tearing down chairs after church. So don't run out of here. Don't try and run the aisles now and say you're too tired. That moment's passed. Amen. And this weekend, of course, is Memorial Day. Time to remember those who have given their lives in defense of, of this country. Those who have never left uniform, died in service. So we have that aspect of remembering on this weekend as there's going to be various things that take place locally and around the country as we remember those things. And I had a great sermon about remembering. I forgot it though. That was too easy. I'll work on that. And I probably should have looked at the Sunday school curriculum and seen what was looked in, to see what was being uh, talked about today, but I didn't. So it's either a strange coincidence or the Lord. Um, what I'm going to preach to you about today, I'm going to preach to you though actually the opposite of what this weekend is about. And I want to preach to you. I'm not going to read a verse. I'm going to give you my title. We're going to pray. But this morning I want to talk to you for a little while about the power. Of forgetting the power of forgetting I know it's time to remember but there's also a time to forget it's an interesting passage in Ecclesiastes 3 1 all the positive things that it's a time and a season for but there's a lot of negative what we would consider negative things in there but I believe there can be power in those things we may even consider negative and so while there's some things I don't want to forget today I want to preach to you about the power of forgetting. I want us to join together and pray that the Lord would have his way in this place today. Join with me in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity, this privilege. Lord, that we can gather in your name with one another, Lord, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth today. And Lord, we know your presence is in this place. We know your spirit is here. We know that your word has a work to do. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear your voice today, God, that you would speak to us, Lord, that we would encounter you today, God, that your word would challenge and encourage and lift us up today, Lord. We believe you and thank you and trust you, God, that you are in this place and here to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. This weekend there'll be a lot of ceremonies centered around remembrance, centered around remembering. And in fact, we, 
we as, as not just here in, in this culture, but around the world, we construct monuments, we construct memorials, Memorial Day weekend, we have ceremonies, and all of these are to remind us of what took place in the past in the lives given for us. We do well to remember certain things so we don't take for granted our present. And I know that holds true spiritually, but it holds true naturally as well, that I don't want to forget some things, and so I end up taking for granted the freedoms, the liberties, the opportunities that I have because of the sacrifice of someone that I don't even know. But I want to be thankful that God has allowed me to be here in this moment, in this uh, uh, country, that I have those opportunities afforded to me, that I can gather here and worship freely, that I don't have to worry about whether I'll be jailed after this for what I've said today. Hopefully that doesn't take place. They can hold off on the podcast for a while. <laughs> but it does me well to remember certain things, to take these opportunities, to take these moments, to remember that I didn't get here by myself, that I wasn't just born and I had all these things. No, somebody fought for my freedom. Somebody died for my freedom. Somebody gave up and sacrificed and did without so that I could have the freedoms that I have today. And it does me well, not just naturally, but to... Uh, spiritually remember some things. I, 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 there's things that I should not forget in my life. I always need to remember where God brought me from. Because if I can't remember where He brought me from, I'm not going to have much of a testimony to share. But I want to always remember that God brought me a long way. That God brought me from the depths of sin. That God drug me out of a pit. And that He set my feet upon a rock. And now I can gather here today someone who is unworthy, but I can lift my hands and I can worship because He has made me worthy. I can't forget where God has brought me from. I need to remember His Word. If you read Psalms 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But throughout that, Psalms 119, the psalmist continually makes reference to, I have not forgot your word. I've not forgot your statutes. I've not forgot your commandments. And we read in that psalm where things begin to come against David, where things begin to happen in his life. And he says, but I remembered the word of the Lord. I remember what God spoke to me. And I've been in those situations before. I don't know about you, where I've been in a circumstance and not sure what to do, not really sure how to respond. And then all of a sudden a word comes back to my mind Something I've heard before Something I've read before And God speaks to me for that moment I need to remember the word of the Lord In Psalms, the, the authors of Psalms also remind us several times That I'm not to forget the works of of the Lord, that I am to remember what God has done for me, not just in a salvation sense, but that He has healed me before, that He has provided for me before, that He has made a way for me before, that when I thought there was no hope, all of a sudden hope came in. When I was in a situation that required peace, all of a sudden peace came in. These are the works of the Lord, and I'm not supposed to forget the works of the Lord. But then they add as well that I'm not just not to forget but that I am to share them with the next generation. And the reason I need to share my story, the reason I need to tell about the times I've been healed and set free and given peace is so that the hope that I have can be transferred to somebody else because their hope in God can rest on my hope in God. And so it's not just because I need to tell a story. It's not just because I need to say it one more time and people are tired of hearing my testimony No. I'm doing it because I want their hope to be in the same place that my hope is. I want it to be anchored to the rock. I want it to be anchored beyond the veil in Jesus Christ. I want the coming generation to know that my hope is in Jesus and theirs should be too. The next generation will only have hope in the things that I remember and share with them. We've been in our split sessions and I'm not going to get off track here. But I've got that, that millennial group, you know, those awful millennials. <laughs> They're not listening right now. They're too lazy, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They know better. And while we can decry one generation from the other, they didn't get here by themselves. <laughs> those millennials that all get participation awards, some parent decided we need to give them all participation awards. 
The kids weren't out at the engraving store paying for their own awards. Somebody brought them there. And you know what? We can do that in the negative, but in the positive, I want that next generation to have the hope that I have and even greater. I want them to acknowledge God the same way I do and even more. I want them to know the stories of God and His deliverance and His works and know them for themselves. We are told that just as a woman cannot forget her child, so the Lord cannot forget you. While there's things that we are supposed to remember, there's also some things that God remembers. And the first thing that He remembers is you. Just as a woman cannot forget her child, the, the child that she has given birth to, God cannot forget you. Because He formed you. He shaped you. He crafted you. He gave you purpose before you were ever born. And so I want to encourage someone very quickly. He knows who you are. And if He formed you and shaped you and crafted you and gave you purpose, why do you think that He's forgotten you now? No, God cannot forget you. He can't get you off His mind, in fact. He remembers you every day. So if you feel lost, if you feel like God has forgotten you, I need to encourage you today that God God has not forgotten you. That while I remember what he has done, he remembers me today as well. And so we understand that there are things that we must remember. That these are things that keep us, that strengthen us, that give us hope and courage when we remember them. The psalmist David says when he's tossing and turning in the middle of the night, he can look back and grab hold of some things. And I know there's people that can testify to that as well. That in the middle of circumstances and trials, you've reached back into something that God has done before, spoke before, and, and exhibited in your life before. And you've gained strength for the present because of what he's done in the past. Things that can help us make it through when we remember but there's also times and there's also things that we are called to forget. Called to forget. We heard the story of Jesus and, and, and Judas today and the story of David and Absalom. And the story that I'm going to recount to you today is no different in, in how I'm portraying it to you. And it's the story of Joseph. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to try and tell this shortly. Not like in the five-year-old class where it took me 30 minutes. I think they were lulled almost into a trance-like state <laughs> as I went from birth to death of Joseph. <laughs> That's not a good tactic to use in teaching five-year-olds. <laughs> but the story of Joseph in Scripture is a, it's an extremely emotional one. It's, it's one of those stories that we can just read and gloss over, but if we could somehow begin to put ourselves in the pages, if we could put ourselves in those moments, it's, it's an, an emotional story, it's a trying story, it's a complicated story. To briefly, underline briefly, recap, Joseph is the pet of the family. He's the favored one, he's the special one. I know that's none of you in here, that's all your brothers and sisters that are the favored ones, right? <laughs> But all of his brothers resent, and everyone's like, yeah, you're the, that's the truest thing I've heard you say. <laughs> Joseph's the pet of the family, and his, his brothers, they resent the affection their father shows toward him in and, and his speech and in his gifts. And then to make matters worse, is, he's getting all these special gifts and attention from the, uh, Jacob. And to make matters worse, he begins, Joseph begins to have dreams. And they're not just any dreams. They're not just weird dreams like I have. Well, they're kind of weird, but in, in this... His brothers are bowing down to him and serving him. And if you are the pet of the family and your brothers don't like you already, that's not a great dream to share with them. But he decides to, and believe it or not, they do not receive this well. That one day that Joseph will be their master and they will bow down with them or to him. So they decide to take, and again, I'm briefly recapping this here, they decide to take matters into their own hands. And they intend to kill him. Instead, they throw him into a pit, a, a pit intending to maybe come back later and kill them. But instead, some of the brothers save him and convince, convince them to sell Joseph into slavery instead. So he is taken on a long journey to Egypt as a slave where he's purchased by a man called Potiphar. And there he quickly gains his new master's trust and before long he's put in charge of all the household affairs until... Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him and he finds himself cast into an Egyptian prison. There he languishes in prison. He's, he, he interprets dreams for prisoners while there and there's promises of release that don't come until years later. He sits there with promises hoping that one day they'll remember. 
two years later they do and he is finally brought before Pharaoh who has had some unusual dreams and he is called on to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and it seems like his fortunes are shifting now. He is made second in command of Egypt. He's in charge of keeping Egypt safe from the coming famine and the famine eventually hits and Egypt begin, has, has enough grain that, that they have enough for their own people and they begin to sell it to the nations around which the famine has reached all the way back to Joseph's own family in Israel. And before long, Joseph's own brothers are coming to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, although they don't realize it's him. And, and, and all of this takes place and there's, there's various different things. They come before him, they bow down before him, they don't recognize their own brother and yet they're fulfilling the dream as they bow before him. After much back and forth and some games are played and trips later, Joseph finally reveals his identity to his brothers. And they are fearful of what Joseph may do. But he brings the whole family back to Egypt, including his father. And he puts them in the best land. It's a crazy story, really. It's got ups and downs, twists and turns, and that's a very brief summary. And there are many points that we can look at along the way of Joseph and and his rise and his fall and his rise again. But this morning I just want to look at one particular aspect. And we pick up the story near the end as Joseph uh, reveals his identity to his brothers. And we find this in Genesis chapter 50 verses 18 through 21. It says, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. This is right after Joseph has revealed himself to them. And they say, We are your servants again fulfilling the dream. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Think about what is taking place here. Here is Joseph's brothers, the, the same brothers who had wanted to kill Joseph, but as a saving grace, as, as a bonus, instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery at the age of 17 years old. That's not very old to have lived a life without much responsibility and freedom and kind of doing whatever you want to end up a slave to an Egyptian we know that he did prosper in Potiphar's house, but even though he was prospering, he was still a slave. He faced false accusations. He was sent to prison. And although he was a slave and in prison, and there was some benefit that took place there, he languished in that situation for over 13 years. And then he is confronted by his brothers coming who are starving and asking him for food. At this point, Joseph is in his early 40s. He was last seen by his brothers at the age of 17, and now he's in his early 40s. And his brothers are bowing down to him and saying that they are his servants, just as the dreams he had had and spoke about over 20 years before. And it's in this moment, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> it's in this moment. Because sometimes my flesh still reads these stories. I'm like, you're nuts. You're crazy. I know what I should do in this moment because I have the story of Joseph that I can read. I know what I should do. I know the stories we heard about Jesus and Judas today and he called him friend and, and I know what I should do. I know that David wept over Absalom, that David wept over Saul, the guy who had persecuted him. I know what I should do, but I don't know what I'd really do. <laughs> you see, because probably what I'd do is I'd start to remember I'd start to remember. And I would begin to journey in my own mind as the first time that I saw my brothers walking that way because you know as well as I that while there are hurtful and painful things in our life that with the passage of time we do not entirely erase them from our memory but they begin to haunt us, if you will, less and less and it becomes less of a daily thing or even an hourly thing and perhaps it moves to I remember it once a week to I remember it once a month but then something can happen that triggers that memory and before we realize it we're walking down the winding road of hurt and pain and confusion and I would imagine that's what went through Joseph's mind the first time that he saw his brothers that despite the the, the richness of what he was wearing despite his position despite his power all of a sudden he feels like a 17 year old boy again about to be cast into a pit by his brothers 
I would begin to remember the hate directed towards me. I would begin to remember the long, treacherous journey through the desert, chained to other uh, slaves. I would remember the auction block as I stood up there and people inspected me to see whether I was worth the money and then I was sold and then false accusations and then the years of sitting in a filthy prison and none of it being his fault at all. All of it was circumstance. All of it was other people. In that moment, I would have my own Memorial Day. In that moment, moment I would begin to remember everything that had happened to me, every wrong that had been given to me, every slight that I had received by those who should have protected me. No matter where I would be now, the power, the respect, anything, my mind would begin to bring back every word, every look, every physical pain I would remember. And I would be faced with a choice just as Joseph was. What would I do? What I suddenly, as my brothers are bowing down before me, the first time they didn't know, but now they know it's me, and they bow down before me. Would I, would I all of a sudden take the dream that I had told them over 20 years before, and all of a sudden say, see, told you so. Uh, notice what's happening here. You're bowing before me, just like I said. <laughs> now clean my feet, too. My toenails need clipped. <laughs> Not really. I probably wouldn't say that. Don't want anyone to touch my feet. <laughs> would I begin to throw things in their face? Would I, I say, told you so? Would I say, remember that dream? Do, do, I, do I in that moment say, you know what? I'm just going to, now that you realize who I am, now that you realize the position and power I have, that I can just throw you out of here and you can just fend for yourself. Do I simply say, okay, and let them leave and never want to see them again? Do I even have some sense of righteousness in my mind and actually say, ah, it's okay? You see, all of those are things that would go through my mind. But after all that Joseph had been through, it's astonishing to me that he not only forgives them, but he states that God meant all of the harm for good. You see, this is something that has to be reconciled inside myself. That at some point, I have to be able to look back and see all the bad that's happened in my life. All of the down points, all of the valleys, all of the low points. And somehow come to the point within myself that sometimes I can even forgive the people. But then it's to say, no, all of that happened in my life because God wants to do something good and great in my life. You see, that's a point that I don't know that many of us get to. I, I know there's, I can get to the point where I say, you know what, it's no problem. Let's just forget about it. But when I begin to think about that situation being for my good, it's another level entirely. And then Joseph states, he goes another step farther and says, I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm not just going to send you home with some food and enough to spare, which would have been enough. He would have been justly uh, within his means to say, I'm going to give you food to go back home. But no, then he says, I'm going to take care of you. I want you to bring the whole family here and I'm going to give you the best land. I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. He's gone too far for me now. My flesh can't understand how someone can do that. How someone can take the very people that meant not just to harm, but to kill Joseph. And he now says, I'll be your protector. I'll be your provider. I'll do everything in my means and even more to keep you safe. <clears throat> when I start to put this in relation to things in my life that I won't let go of, it begins to convict me. Well, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know how badly they hurt me. You don't know what I had to put up with. And really what we do in our own life is we begin to build memorials and monuments to different situations that happen in our own lives. We begin to build uh, monuments to hurt and memorials to pain. And rejection gets its own statue. And bitterness has its own place. And loss has its own place. And we get to the point where really, if we're honest, we have too much invested in these things to even let them go. <laughs> 
It has become such a part of our lives that we are that, that it's part of who we are. And then if we were to dis, if we were to pull that out of our life, it would disrupt too much to change, and, and it caused too much change in our life. And I do know what I'm talking about because I know there's been things in my life that I know aren't right, that I know shouldn't be there, and yet I can't give it up to God because I want to grab a hold of it too much. So how did Joseph do it? How did he do it? Was it simply an act of will? Did he will himself to the point where he could forgive? Did he will himself and say, this is a mind over matter thing, I'm going to provide for them now? Was it just a choice being made? We find some answer when we look back at, at, and when we look at the next generation of Joseph. Let me just tell you right now, who you are will be picked up by the next generation. You can't live a better life and expect your kids to be encouragers. <laughs> you can't be cynical all your life and then expect your kids to just be these bastions of faith. Now, they may be, but they're going to come to that on their own. But the next generation is where I find out who I am. In Genesis chapter 41, verses 50 and 51... It says, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. <laughs> you see, this is an element of forgetting that Joseph mentions. You see, Joseph didn't just forgive. Joseph didn't just make amends. No, there was an element that Joseph began to forget. And there is a power when I begin to forget certain things. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That there are some things which I have to leave in the past. That there are some things things that I have to start to forget. And if I don't, I'm losing the power that is contained in forgetting. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. I think it's no mistake that Peter says the first thing before you ever come to an altar, the first thing before you ever bring your hurt, your pain, and your trouble, the first thing you must do is humble yourself because there's too many times we come to an altar with our hurts, our pains, our brokenness, and we feel justified in them. <laughs> We feel justified. We feel that there's justice, that I have a right to feel this way. That, is, that, that, that because of all that happened, that I deserve sometimes even to feel this way. But Peter says you've got to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You've got to look at all that Jesus suffered and what he went through. And you start to realize that he went through a whole lot for you. And I might have to humble myself under him. But when I do, that's when I can really begin to cast my care on him him. You see, I have a part to play in forgetting. This is not just a one-dimensional thing, and it's simply this. The part I have to play in forgetting is that I have to be willing to let it go. That's what these verses say. Paul says, this one thing I do, I'm going to forget those things. This is the part I'm going to do. I'm going to try and forget that stuff. And Peter says, you have to cast all of your care. That God won't just take it all. That no one else can take it off of you. But you must cast your own care. That means when I come to an altar, I have to be willing not just to come to an altar, but I have to be willing when I come to let go of hurt, to let go of pain, to let go of being wronged, to let go of hate, to let go of rejection and bitterness and doubt. All my dreams that were crushed in a pit by someone else, all the prisons I've been in, all the slavery I've been in, I've got to be able to come to an altar and say, Lord, I'm willing to give it up. I've got to let go of anger, of regret of self-recrimination, of self-doubt. You see, I have to be willing to forget. And if you aren't willing, then he probably won't work. He can work, make no mistake. But if I'm not willing to participate, then he probably won't work. But the name Manasseh, though, 
You see, it wasn't just about that somehow Joseph went in front of the mirror every day and said, I'm going to forget everything that, went, happened, that happened before. I'm just going to erase it from my mind. And he kept doing that. And before long, he was like, what stuff? No. You know as well as I that it's pretty hard to forget some things. I have to be willing, though, that's all. Because the second part of the name Manasseh, what he gave to the next generation, has this component to forgetting. It contains this phrase, that God hath made me forget. (laughs) I don't know why Sunday school and this are so similar, but somebody needs to hear this today. That God hath made me forget. Because this phrase is used several times in Scripture. But every time this phrase is used, hath made me forget. It is always in relation to God. It is always in relation to the divine. That means that there is something that only God can do. That while I can be willing to let go, and I should be willing to let go, and if I come to an altar and I'm willing to let go, if I'm willing to forget certain things, that there is a divine work that only God can do that I can't understand. I don't know how it works, but somehow God can do something to make me forget all of the trouble, all of the toil, all of the heartache, all of the pain in my life. That God can do a divine work inside of me (laughs) when I'm willing to let go then God can begin to work and do what only he can do and the word the the, the name goes on it says he made me to forget my toil that's my trouble that's my sorrow my misery my grief and he made me forget my father's house that doesn't mean he forgot where he came from it simply means all of my past God made me forget (laughs) Now, you know as well as I that it's not some magic thing that all of a sudden I can't remember any details. No, that's not what it's talking about. But Joseph said, I remember being thrown in the pit, but God helped me forget the hatred. I remember being sold into slavery, but he helped me get over that rejection. He allowed me. I know I went to Potiphar's house and I was accused, but God helped me get over that. I know I languished in prison for years and I had no hope, but all of a sudden God has made me to forget. Let me tell you, there's things that you're dealing with that you're struggling with and God is telling you, if you'll just be willing to let it go, I'll help you to forget those things. I'll do a work that only I can do that you won't struggle with pain. You won't struggle with heartache. You won't struggle with the bitterness and the hurt and the rejection. God can do it in your life today. God has made me to forget. And I believe this morning that God can make you forget today. I believe that God can do something supernatural in your life today where all of a sudden you can look back at that situation and you don't feel the same feelings, but no, that's when it can turn into a testimony of look what the Lord has done. This is where I used to be. This is how I used to feel. But God hath made me to forget all of it. We find that Joseph, though, he had one more son. Because you see, there's power in forgetting. There's power in forgetting. Because there was more to it than just simply forgetting what had taken place. In Genesis chapter 41 and verse 52, we read the name of Joseph's second son. It says, And the name of the second was called Ephraim. (laughs) For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, before, this is the power of forgetting right here. This is the power of forgetting. Joseph knew that his generations would be affected depending on whether he could forget or not. On whether he could turn over all of his past to God and let God have it. And here's the second part of, to the power of forgetting. Is that God can now, once, he has, once I have allowed him to come into my life, once I have allowed him into those deep parts of my life, that now God can cause me to flourish. That God can cause me to grow. And God can cause me to be fruitful even in the middle of my affliction. 
You see, there was no reason that Joseph should have been where he was in Egypt. There was no reason that he should have been second in command. And yet because he was willing to forget, God began to do something in his life. But God not just pulled him out of a pit. No, God put him in the highest of places. God caused him to be a provider. God caused his blessings to flow through Joseph. He didn't just bless him. He allowed him to be a blessing. And I'm here to challenge you today that in the middle of your affliction, if you're willing to let go, if you're willing to let God have those things, then he can make you forget and then he can make you fruitful in the middle of your affliction. You see, this is what Joseph meant when he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Let me remind you that what the enemy is trying to destroy in you right now, God can just as easily turn it for his good. Well, I don't know. I don't understand. You don't have to. You just have to be willing to say, God, I'm willing to give it to you and then let him let you flourish watch and see what he will do (laughs) God doesn't wait either God has his own time. You know that. You've prayed prayers and you're wondering where God is but let me tell you this affliction doesn't stop God your circumstance does not stop God. And here's what, here's what we might think of it. I'm in the middle of a bad situation. I'm in the middle of a horrible mess. I wish I could just go home, says Joseph. I wonder if he ever thought that. I wish I could just go home. Or maybe he knew if he went home, it'd start all over again. <laughs> maybe if he went back, he'd say, bro, that, that dream, that was false. That was pizza. <laughs> that wasn't really true. <laughs> But I wonder if you ever thought, Lord, if I could just go home. But God said, oh, no, I've got a far greater plan for you than your own plan. Because I'm going to leave you in the land of affliction, but I'm going to put you in a place you never imagined before. Let me tell you right now, there's people sitting here today that you think you know what God needs to do in your life. And God will blow your mind with what he wants to do in your life. And you think, I need out of this mess. I need out of this situation. And God say, no, I'm going to raise you up in that situation. I'm going to raise you up in the middle of your circumstance. You think all hope is lost. You think it's all gone. But God can make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. (laughs) The power of forgetting is, is realized as God begins to work in my affliction. And let me tell you that Ephraim, it comes from a word which means fruitful. But the word Ephraim has an added meaning and it means double fruitful. How do you become double fruitful? I believe that it's doubly fruitful because God not only makes you fruitful, but because he does it in the land of your affliction. The psalmist says it this way in Psalms 23, verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You see, I believe that that is doubly fruitful. How many of you ever been with someone who talks real big? (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand. You know, you, you meet someone and they got, they got a lot of game when it comes to their mouth. They don't have much to back it up. And you know you could back it up if you just bide your time. And it feels so good when in their face you do it. When in their face you just prove that they aren't really that good. That just, it, just something inside of you like, yeah. Now that's not the Holy Ghost, just let me clarify that, clarify that for you. That's not the Holy Ghost. But there is an element of the Holy Ghost in it. Not in, not in that. But in what I'm about to say. Because that's exactly what the psalmist says God does. He says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now I want you to think about all that David says about his enemies. Surround them, encompass them about me on all sides. And all these TH words at the end. And thine and this and thus. And all these things that they're surrounding him. And there's no hope and there's no way. And all of a sudden, he says, but God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, let me tell you, the enemies are still there. What could be better? What could be better than God delivering you from your enemies? Than God doing it in the middle of your enemies. 
When all of a sudden, this situation that's had you bound, that's had you tied up, that's had all of these things going on, and you don't know up from down in any which way, what could be doubly fruitful in that situation? What could be more satisfying in that situation than all of a sudden, God, in the middle of my affliction, all of a sudden, I'm second in command in the middle of my affliction. All of a sudden, his blessings begin to fall, and he begins to clear out a space right in the middle of my affliction, and he allows me to sit down and eat a meal while everything looks looks on and they can't touch me now. They can't harm me now. They can't do anything because God has created a space for me in my affliction and he has caused me to rise up in the middle of my affliction. No, God may not have delivered me. No, God may have done something better. He may be rising and and, uh, causing me to rise up in the middle of my affliction. (laughs) God does that all the time. He invites me to sit down in the middle of my situation that had me bound. Let me tell you what that looks like in my life and in your life. That means that there's addicts that sit in this place today that have been addicted, that have gone through all kind of things, all kind of troubles and hurts and pains with addiction, and now they sit and teach addicted people. That's doubly fruitful because God just didn't deliver them. No, now they minister to them. That's people who have marriages that were falling apart, and now they counsel people with marriage problems. That's doubly fruitful because God just didn't set you free. Now you've got a ministry there. It's those that had fallen away from God and had turned from God and backslid. And now Brother Bill, he leads a new convert class. Man, what does that do to the enemy? When the devil thought he had Brother Bill, when the devil thought that he was all done, God just didn't save him. No, now he put him in a place where he's teaching people, no, this is what you need. This is what you need to do. That's doubly fruitful. And God wants to to do it for you. It's those who have hurts and pains and bondage and God sets you free and now you come to an altar and you worship with those who are bound. You, you pray with those who are hurt. That's doubly fruitful and God wants that for your life. God wants to do it in your situation. God did it for Joseph and God will do it for you. All that time All that energy wasted by the enemy trying to destroy you. And then God steps into the middle of your affliction. And God turns it in a moment where years of fighting and the enemy and destroying and destruction have been there. God can step in in one moment. But you can't be fruitful like God wants you to be until you let go of the past. We find this unusual story at the end of Jacob's life. Joseph brings his two sons to be blessed by his father before he dies. Musicians can come. The tradition was, is when they would come, come here, my sons. Oh, there's one of them. I guess I'll have to use him since he's my son. (laughs) No, you can just sit there. I don't want you to wear yourself out. You got to pick up chairs. The tradition was, is that the oldest and the youngest, Eli's older, would come. And, and, and the father would put a blessing on them. Hope you're not sweaty. Put a blessing on them. It's an unusual story that happens because Joseph brings his two boys to Jacob right before he's about to die. That's not the circumstance here, hopefully. And Jacob, Joseph thinks he's a senile old man. Just like, well, anyway, say anything about my dad. Joseph, though, he brings his sons. And Jacob, he sees the two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh and Ephraim. And he goes, little ninja move, and does this. He crosses his hands. The right hand, you guys are on the wrong side. The right hand, this hand here that was supposed to go here, we'll, we'll say left and right since now they're sitting, you guys sat in the wrong seats. This was supposed to be the hand that blessed, the right hand, I know it's my left, to go on the oldest, and the left hand was on the youngest. They would both receive a blessing, but the one that had the right hand placed on him that would be the one who received the greater blessing. And Jacob switched hands. So the right hand, now it's confusing, is on the youngest. The hand of blessing, of greater blessing, was on the youngest. We find that in, in, in Genesis 48, 17, it says, And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, the youngest, doubly fruitful, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Listen, you old coot. No, not so, my father. 
for this is the firstborn. He thought, he thought oh, maybe his eyes are going bad. He got it mixed up. He said, no, this, you know how when you go to grandma's house, you got to say your name for the sixth time? <laughs> Sorry, great grandma's house. He says, no, this one's the firstborn. Put your hand here. This is the one you should be blessing. And his father refused and said, I know. I'm not as, I'm not as senile as you think. I know it. He shall become, he also shall become a people. This is speaking of the oldest son. He also will become a people. He also shall become great. So there's a blessing there. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. So we find Ephraim with the greater blessing. Let me just tell you. They were both blessed. There can be blessing found in the life that won't allow God to help you forget. Let me just say, it's possible to live for God. It's possible to receive blessing. It's possible to come to church and feel something and still keep a hold of some things in your life. You can come here, you can worship, you can feel the presence of God, and you can still have bitterness in your heart. It's possible. You can come here with hearts that you're too, you, you've got held so closely, they're a part of you that you just can't let go. And that sounds, that's so strange because why wouldn't I let it go to God? You can't answer it, you just know you can't let it go. You can still live for God that way. There'll still be blessings in your life. Because there's blessings in scripture that are not attached to me letting go of some of those things. But the greatest blessing always goes to the second. That's where you've allowed God to take all of your past and now God can work something miraculous in the middle of that situation. That's where the greater blessing is. So you can live a blessed life, but if you want to live a more blessed life, if you want to have a greater inheritance, then you need to be willing to let go. You see, one is about letting go of the past. The other is about the promise of the future. And we find with God that the future is always more powerful than the past. That means whatever my past is, God has a greater future for me. If I can simply let go of what was behind, God can always do something with my future greater than I could ever imagine or think of. In Numbers 32, Numbers 32, so this is years later, three groups came to Moses with a request. It was the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. This is the one... I know not every person in the tribe, but it's representative. This is the tribe that couldn't let go of the past. And their request was when we enter the promised land, it was about time to enter into the promised land. And their request was, Moses, when we go through, can we stay, when we cross over, can we stay on the eastern side of the Jordan? It's kind of strange. Moses, he was a little upset, but then he agreed to it. And the only stipulation was, is that before that happens, before you are given your inheritance, because that's where they were going to go first, then cross the Jordan, and then that's Jericho and all the rest of it. And they wanted to stay right here. And he said, before you do that, you have to help all the other tribes conquer the promised land first. Then you can go back. And they did. They helped the other tribes conquer the promised land. They were there at the battle of Jericho and all of those other things. And then when it was all done, they returned to the other side of the Jordan. Let me tell you this. When I refuse to let go of the past, when I refuse to let go of some hurts and pains, whatever it may be, when I refuse to allow God to do a divine work that only He can do, let me just tell you, I don't think I can fully possess the promises that God has in store for me. I may walk in them occasionally. There may be blessings. I may help others find their promises. I may help them fight their battles. But I just camp out. I just end up making my habitation just on the other side of Jordan. Because there's things that I can't let go of. What could be worse than living just outside the promised land? What could be worse than living just outside of joy and healing and peace and promise and, and hope. What could be worse is coming to church, feeling the presence of God, and knowing there's hurt, there's pain, there's rejection, but never giving it to Him. Let me tell you, God has a ministry for people in this place. 
if you'll simply let go of some things in your life. You see, the power of forgetfulness is not just that I can be doubly fruitful when I forget, but I believe that the power of forgetfulness is tied to the promises of God in my life. The the, the past clouds the future. I can't let go of some things, so God can't move me forward into what He wants me to go into. And I have to create my own space. I have to create my own security just outside of my promise. And we kid ourselves, well, I'm fine right here. I still feel the blessing and I still feel these things. I I still go to church and feel stuff and and God still moves and I've been to the altar and cried. But no, I know that deep down inside I'm living just outside of the promises of God. That even though he's moving, even though he's touching, even though I still feel his blessings, I know within myself there's things that I won't let go of. I know there's things that I won't give to him. And unless I'm willing to give it to him, God can't heal me the way that I need to be healed. So on this day of remembrance, I challenge you to forget today, to let go of the toil, to let go of the Father's house of the past, to let go of those things, and to allow God to make you fruitful in the land of your affliction as we stand this morning. This morning, Sunday school, around this place, the lesson was, what did Jesus do when he was wronged? He prayed about it. There was forgiveness. What do I do when I've been wrong like Joseph? It's not just a matter of willpower. It's not just a matter of, of I'm just going to make this choice. No, that plays into it. But there's something that only God can do. And there's people in this place that you've come to an altar. You've prayed. You've asked God to do certain things. But you've never really let go of some things. This morning, you can do that. This morning you can come to an altar and say, Lord, I'm willing to let go of this. I'm willing to let go of this anger, this injustice, this unfairness, this wrong that's been in my life. I didn't have any control over and I don't know why this is happening to me and why I'm in this situation. But Lord, I'm willing to let it go. And then I can't explain the process. I can't explain what happens. But I know because I've seen it and I've felt it. That all of a sudden, something that I can't do on my own begins to happen in my life. All of a sudden, no, I don't forget that moment. No, I don't forget that specific incident. But all of a sudden, those feelings begin to dissipate. Hatred begins to leave. Anger begins to leave. And then all of a sudden, God can begin to raise up a testimony in the land of affliction. He can make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. And that anger that thought it had you bound, all of a sudden, no, you're, you're the most peaceable person there is. All of a sudden, that hatred that had you bound, no love is what is shown at work. And people can't believe how loving you are. That's what God can do in your life. Amen. I want us to pray right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. Lord, your word has gone forth. Lord, you have spoken to us. Lord, you see see people that you're reaching for right now. You see hearts that are bound. You see lives that are bound. It could be things that have just happened. It could be things that are buried deep in the past. And Lord, we come before you knowing that you are the only one that can truly heal, that can truly mend the brokenhearted. It is only you that can heal us today, God. And Lord, the only way you can do that is when we are willing to cast our cares upon you, when we are willing to forget those things which are behind. And Lord, we reach forward into the future that you have for us. We reach forward into that doubly fruitful position, God. We reach forward into the promises that you have placed in our life. Lord, I don't want to live just outside of the promised land, but Lord, I want everything that you have for me, God. Lord, I want every ministry that you have for me. Lord, I want every blessing, every place that you have for me, God. I want to receive all that you have for me in my life. Oh, in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is open this morning. Maybe you want to come. Maybe the enemy has you convinced this morning that you can't do it, that that, that you're too far gone, that the pain is too much, that the affliction is too much, and you feel like you're languishing in prison in Egypt. But no, God can do something. He's doing something right now, and He'll do something beyond your thoughts, your craziest thoughts, your wildest expectations. If I simply give it over to Him today. Oh, come on, there's young people. There's young people who are dealing with doubt and hurts and pains. You don't know why you're in the situation you're in. It's nothing to do with you. It's beyond your control. But God can turn it in the land of your affliction. He can raise up a testimony in the middle of that circumstance. Oh, come on, that's it. 
That's it. Come on, pour out your heart to God this morning.